Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. Uh, I am Mel Moyer and... And I am Mr. Craigers. Mr. Craigers. Um, you can get in contact with us. It's but contrary to what I've been saying the past two podcasts and what Craig has been saying, it is yeah, really important. Listen up. Splatter, we like to about Splatter our Chatter 669 at gmail.com. I think I lied twice in two different ways on two different podcasts. I think I did too. Yeah, and we had some technical difficulties, but splatterchatter669 at gmail.com if you want to get in contact with us. That would be stupendous because we are still looking for suggestions for our first drunk horror podcast. We're going to come up with a clever name for that. Yeah. Um, As of right now, it's just drunk horror viewing podcast. <laughs> viewing episode. podcast, which is exactly what it sounds so. like. Um, you can, so yes, give us suggestions, guys. Please. Netflix has a lot of shit on there. Yeah, they just recently <laughs> put up their Halloween stuff. I know because I was super sick like two or three weeks ago. <laughs> and that is what entertained me. I did not move from the couch. Um, you can find us on Twitter at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels. Mm-hmm. So figure that one out on your own. I'm not going to spell it for you. So I also, can't spell I it. think just search splatterchatter. We should yeah. up. Yep. Um, and then splatterchatter.tumblr.com for Tumblr and splatterchatter.blogspot or is it splatterchatter666.blogspot.com those are for all our the, blog all the social media but yes as you know or maybe don't know we are your destination for everything and all things horror from film television music video games haunted shit you know whatever whatever floats your boat whatever floats our boats um which is a lot uh we previously talked about our favorite horror films our least favorite horror films this year what we were most looking forward to which was don't breathe which we both saw Mm -hmm. and we will go through in a minute um and we also previously talked about horror misfires um which were also unfortunately many (laughs) <laughs> so in this one we're going to talk about uh, our thoughts on Don't Breathe, which we both saw this weekend, um, our top five favorite horror novels. Um, yeah, I think that's about it yeah. for this one. Yeah. Our first two episodes were, um, were, were pretty long. So yeah, they, we were, we're like, gonna... we're going to shoot for 30 minutes, and they were an hour yeah. and 20 minutes. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens with this one. Um, we'll try to not not do that not do that but you know what it is splatter chatter mm-hmm. so there's going to be a lot of chatter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. god so let me preface my don't breathe viewing by saying i thought until the last second i was going to be the only person in that theater and i was pumped because that's how i saw the witch and it's great when you're the only person in the theater oh i was the only person in the theater for the witch too so sad well it's probably because that was like an independent Canadian film. <laughs> yeah, and, and nobody cared besides nobody cared. us. Um, but then some... They had to have been younger than 17 because they came in with their mother. Came in, which made the, the semen scene great for me and for everyone else. Amazing. Uh, but Amazing. they came in. They surprisingly weren't loud, but it was funny because on the way out, I waited until they left because I was like, I'm not... I don't want to get up and walk and have them watch me because I just didn't. Um, <laughs> the mom was like... Um, oh, you're brave to be in here by yourself. And I was like, okay. And she was like, would you have been scared if you were in here by yourself? And it took all my energy to be like, actually, I would have preferred it. But she kept walking and she left and then I left and then we all had a great day. <laughs> and we all had a great day. But yeah. I, well, I wasn't alone because I was going with Mr. Eric. Mr. So Eric. that would have been weird if I was alone. <laughs> 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 I'd have more questions. 
But there were a couple of other people in there. We saw it like early evening on Friday, so I guess I kind of expect. I actually kind of expected more people to be in there. <clears throat> I saw it in the middle of the day for a Friday evening, but well, okay. I went also, in the middle of the day because I was hoping to be the only one in there, and right, it wasn't. right, which is the best time to see yeah. any movies, really. Yeah. Um. Although, yeah, I don't know. There probably would have been more people, but the movie theater we saw it in is in this mall that is like half of it has, is torn down. <laughs> Perfect setting. <laughs> There's like a gaping hole in one side of the mall. So. Come winter, it's going to be quite, quite the, It's going to be quite interesting. It's going to be uh, Don't Breathe did win the box office this season, though, I do believe. Or not yeah, it knocked out weekend. Suicide Squad. Thank God. I didn't see um, Suicide Squad. You know. I blatantly refused. A friend asked me to go see it, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I have no interest. Sick and poor. I'm not, <laughs> but not for that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and which is good because, I mean, we've kind of, this has been kind of a week, a week year for movies all around so far. It really has. I, yeah, that is not exclusive just to horror. Yeah, it's um, been. And it's not looking too much better either. <laughs> it's really not every, like. Because the biggest thing coming out next is Sully, and even that, it's like, okay, Clint Eastwood, Tom Hanks, but. Uh, it's kind of, a, it's it just looks really traditional. Which is. Like, well, and plus, it's like the the strangest. Like when you know they heard this is so going off topic, but as a biopic, that is not what I expected to happen when it came to uh, Sully no. and all that. No, I agree. But don't uh, worry. In two weeks, we've got Blair Witch to look forward to, well, which was a trailer with "Don't Breathe." Yes, it was. Oh boy! So don't breathe. They breathe. Um, they breathed a lot. They breathed a False lot. False advertising. They breathed a lot. Um, my review is up on the blog right now. We're gonna um, talk a little bit, just kind of our thoughts. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully, briefly. by the time this comes out, mine will be up too. Cheers. It's there. Yeah. It's just not in the ether. Yeah. Um, it, it. I feel like it. You know. I would say it delivered on what it told you it was gonna be. Like it. it it was tense. It was tense. It, it was, was like very it was tense. it was a ride. I was like like I was oh, riding. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was not breathing. It got point. me the dog got me the very first the dog at the window. Oh yeah. I yeah. I'm jumpy by nature, which is part of the reason I want to be by myself cuz it's like I want to be a hard ass and not the person who's jumping. But <laughs> I like that the dog was the only real tool for jump scares. Yeah. They kind of stayed away from that. Yeah, he popped out once or twice, but at a yeah. certain point, you kind of learn to expect that. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I... This was, like, as discussed, um, I think, in episode one, this was what we were both kind of most looking forward to for the remainder of the year. And while I enjoyed it, and I, I think it's really solid, and it is one of the best horror films we've gotten this year I was still kind of disappointed <clears throat> I so my thing is is like I was into it for until and even when we saw that he was keeping somebody also spoilers which is well yeah spoilers <laughs> spoiler this, alert if spoiler alert you gotta be careful on this podcast um us. him keeping somebody prisoner in his basement I was like okay clearly that you know we knew something had to be going on there I apologize well, the, for this, the, the motorcycle outside my house. Well, and you knew there's a shot in the one trailer um, with uh, Jane Levy. She's in the basement, and this 
like you can quickly see the the woman lunge out at her. Yeah. From the dark and like the lights come on and stuff or whatever. And so I knew that that was happening. I didn't know why he had a girl in the basement. Yeah. I just thought he was some creepo sicko. But that that was the thing. Like I felt like in the initial, the initial trailers were enough to really hook me. And I was like, oh my God, this looks tense as fuck. Like this looks amazing. But they gave so much away in the marketing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, we knew that he was going to fight back and that it was going to kind of be a reverse home invasion thing because they show in the trailer that he he turns the gun on money. Yeah. You know if you watch close enough that there's a girl in the basement and yeah. stuff or whatever. Which was, I think, what they were going for as their big, like, plot twist was like, yeah. oh, he's keeping this girl locked up in the basement. Right. And, and but they, they want that to shock you in the moment. And I was like, well, if this was intending to be, this was intended to be your big plot to us, why did you show me it before I got to the theater? Yeah. Like that doesn't that, and maybe that's not the movie's fault. But what is the movie's fault is the opening shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which of him dragging her through the street? So I'm like, okay, because you know who I, lives, I know this who dies. How end up. Yeah, yeah. And so while I there were tense moments in the film where I like when I was in the moment I feel like that lost the overall tension for me because I knew how we were going to end up yeah so yeah I would have I would have cut that for this is and this is what I said I can now say that my review is up because it came out while we were (laughs) while we're podcasting so it will be there um one big thing and this was my issue with it follows is like the whole notion of showing the monster and there's more ways you can do it than 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 one and how we mentioned when we were talking about paranormal activity because in it follows you know my they kind of showed the monster quote-unquote by showing the scene where it killed um what's his face the not boyfriend boyfriend oh right and you could see like how it went about take killing its victims which you know was part of the freakiness of it because yeah like it literally like fucks them to death and and you're like okay but it was freaky to like but to like be like it is yeah okay like it follows after them and then all you know these bodies end up mangled by by the next day that was creepy enough in this they showed the monster by having him see because he was not talking the majority of the film he had no lines for like the first hour of the movie he was just grunting and following them and he was kind of very like urethral in that sense and very much like non-human he was like the shape or like you know just some kind of like universal monster Mm. you know and i thought that functioned so well and then he just starts talking about his daughter and about how he kept this girl prisoner and for some reason has his sperm in the freezer and is gonna impregnate um rocky and i was just suddenly he was not scary at all like it, it was it's this thing that like so many contemporary horror movies do now and we touched on this in earlier episodes where there's just this obsessive need to provide us with backstory mm-hmm. and to mythologize and it yeah in this case it's good to have a little bit of that but like it, we ended up with like a, a a cliched like villain monologue yeah um, and when, you know, when he's got her in the basement and here's my motivations and this is why I did this and da, 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 And I'm just like, which, and it's like, not even like, here's why I did this. It's like this super convoluted, like crazy fucked 
fucked up, weird thing that he was doing to this right? girl. And then they kind of, because of that situation and, and, and why he has her down there and why he's keeping Jane Levy alive, now it like presents him as like, okay, before he was just like grief-stricken. Now, is he, is he insane? See, my first thought when I saw that, and I was like, okay, girl in the basement pointing to the, to the newspaper, I was thinking, like, there was some weird fucked up shit. Like, oh, maybe that's his daughter. Like, maybe he's insane, and he kept his daughter. And the daughter and he, didn't like, die. he, faked her death and is keeping her locked up in the basement. Like, no. I, had, I feel like <laughs> I had a moment where I was like, wait, is this the daughter? Yeah. Um, it I would have preferred it, considering uh, what, yeah. what we got. Yeah, because then before, like, where you... You've got this a little bit of empathy for this this man who has has lost his daughter, and then like once he starts explaining to like everything he's done and why he's doing, it, and he's like, okay, you're just kind of insane, yeah. and like how many insane yeah villain like he, he didn't end up being all that special. However, I will say that Stephen Lang's performance yeah. as the blind man was really strong, much better than when he was in Avatar. Uh, <laughs> oh God! Um, and I do think that one of the best sequences was that night vision scene. Yeah, like that was I insanely well done. I'm sure you did too. Yeah, that was some really fantastic filmmaking. The that cinematography was... is great. Yeah, no, the direction so, was so great, so and it's great. And angles it's... and 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 cool shots that they do, and the set pieces are really. There's strong. a lot of tracking shots throughout the whole. There's thing. a lot of tracking shots, and it's interesting because the guy who well, Alvarez, shot. who um who directed it he directed the evil dead remake and this was kind of his response to people saying he relied too much on gore and blood yeah. in the evil dead remake and he was like okay like i can make a so i'm gonna do an original yeah he's like i can make a horror movie without all that and he did he did a fantastic job i think from a directorial standpoint he was part of the writing and i think the one blip in it all was that need to include that weird backstory but otherwise i think it functioned yeah, super yeah. well he has a very resourceful understanding of suspense yeah uh, he knows what's going to get your pulse racing mm -hmm. uh, so i think he 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 did what he set out to do just like the movie set out what it intended to do um it just uh, still fell flat in some yeah. a couple places for me so it was good but it wasn't great and, and I, I did enjoy I was the ending i really liked that shot of her with the money and her sister and him looking at the camera and them saying he reported nothing stolen and then her and her sister walking off to that was an interesting moment there was there was nice I, emotional payoff i had some some debates mr eric and i were talking we were like mr. what the eric what the implication of that was supposed to be. What did Mr. Eric think of it? <clears throat> uh, he, he liked it, Mr. Eric. Yeah, we, we, we pretty much agreed. Um, he's a lot jumpier than I am. So it's fun. <laughs> Which is funny because he's like 6'2". <laughs> so. I know, right? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that was the one thing that I think was a credit for the film, too, is that I cared so much about her and her sister and getting them out of that situation. Like, even with that one scene with her sister and her mom and her mom's neo-Nazi boyfriend, like, I wanted her to get the money and get out, but I also wanted her to just, like, survive as well, but... Yeah, you know, like it, that's like, and that's something that's kind of lost, I think, in horror. This like, because you see it in seventies horror with like Exorcist and Poltergeist, where you actually have a super emotional attachment to these characters. To your characters, they're not just stock. Yeah, and like we lost a lot of that recently with people like pounding out. Um, these found footage films that cost them like pennies to make and they can like make them in a month and put them out. So, and that's one of the reasons I love the conjuring so much is because it harkens back. They're to real that. characters. Um, and that's what that, I like to you know, That was another good thing here. Like 
the story flowed very well and everything was always progressing forward. It's kind of a slow burn, which I love, Mm -hmm. but everything was always moving forward, but we didn't sacrifice any characterization for that. Yeah. Like, we got to know yeah, all three of them Yeah, and I mean, even really well. Money, for as short as you do in the movie, like, was a character you could really visualize and really say, okay, like, I know this guy, I understand this guy, like... Um, yeah, I, Daniel Zavato did a really good, really good job. I mean, it was a kind of a brief, you know, but... Blip of the... Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It was good. Everybody was good, really. Yeah. Um. So I think... Is that yeah? Overall, I liked it a lot. Um, less, it was yeah. about what I expected. There was some things I wish didn't happen, but you know, I think the pros outweigh the cons with this one for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely stronger. I think this is like the best horror movie we've had this year in terms of like s- the scare factor. Yeah, because like, the witch was more of a like jolt fest, and the witch yeah. I think is better. That's made. like a drama. Yeah. And has a very different kind of scare factor to it. It's more They're Blair Witchy. two very different horror movies. Yeah. But. I will say I had nothing bad to say about The Witch. <laughs> like, I, really I, I can't think of any flaw in that movie. That's definitely my favorite horror movie so far this year. Um, but then again, I haven't really liked it. Th- that's that literally, much. I've seen that in 10 Cloverfield Lane and this. Um, Green Room was really good. I wanted to see Green Room yeah, and so Life. So plug to everybody out there for Green Room. Yeah, that, wanted, this, and I've the heard witch. that's very, very good. Oh, uh, well, and Conjuring 2. Oh, I did see Conjuring 2. Yeah. What am I saying? Those totally four for me good. are... I did like Conjuring 2 a lot, minus the CGI Crooked Man. Minus the Crooked Man. Yeah. Otherwise, great, great movie. <clears throat> okay, so, yeah. so I think we are ready to segue into... Not movies for the first not time in three episodes. Yeah, we're fulfilling our promise to not, yes. not do just movies. We keep telling you guys we're doing everything horror and then we keep talking about movies. But now we're not. Now we're not. We are going to um, talk, well, not necessarily talk about horror literature, but we're going to give our personal yeah. top favorite, top five favorite horror novels. In I have mine in descending order, just like last yeah, time. Yeah, we can do that. We did that with our movies. Well, yeah. Stick to the format. We'll sw- uh, switch off. You want to go first for number five? Sure. Awesome. So my number five is um, a novel called Pen Pal. I love it already. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of debating if I was going to put this in my my top five because, well. I don't know. This was a hard list to make. Much like my top five favorite horror films, I was like crossing things out a lot and I'm going to change my mind like the second we finish recording. But for now, I'm going to go with And another thing. And another thing. Okay. So don't hate on me, traditionalists, but Pen Pal is a novel that started um, as one of those Reddit sub-threads. It started as a creepypasta. Which are uh, my f- is my favorite way of things to start. Which I feel like we should do at some point in the future a podcast on creepypastas. On creepypastas. We totally should. Mm-hmm. But this, this started as one and then it, you know, people were giving um, the author, Dathan Arbach, a lot of praise. So he, I think he self-published at first and now like, I don't know, like Vulture Publishing publishes it or something or whatever. Um and you and you can tell in the format because the chapters or like the sections or whatever they kind of read like interconnected short stories, mm-hmm. uh, but 
Anyway, so the premise is this grown man who is investigating what he used to think of as seemingly unrelated, like bizarre, sort of horrific occurrences from his childhood in order to like better understand them now with an adult lens. Is this uh, kind of like, sounds like a little bit like Ocean at the End of the Lane? Sort of. Yeah. Because, you know, as all the tor- stories are told in flashback mm-hmm. and the book ended with like how he's coming to understand them now and how they sort of piece into the way his life and the lives of those around him have been shaped. Um, so essentially it starts when um, he is in kindergarten and they're doing a pen pal project where they, um, they write a letter and they take a, a picture of themselves and they attach it to a balloon. And then they like everybody in the class releases the balloons and the goal is supposed to be, you know, It'll just, when the balloon eventually lands, someone will find it and they'll dun, write dun, back, dun. back to the school and they'll like pin up, you know, things, little dots on the maps. Look where our balloons ended up. Look at the, how our community is connected and stuff or whatever. And um, our main character doesn't get a reply to his. And he thinks that means no one found it. But someone did. And it is very much the wrong sort of person that did it. I'm excited. And then so each section is kind of, um, you know, he gets older, you know, then he's in elementary school, then he's in middle school, then he's in high school and stuff or whatever. And all of these really weird things that start happening. And he kind of hits on a lot of big horror tropes, like what happens when you stay in the woods a little bit too long after dark. Uh, <laughs> Remind me to tell you about this really fucked up game we played when we were kids in the woods, by the way. It's called Vampire. Oh my god, we played Vampire all the time? (laughs) We probably totally shouldn't have. We totally shouldn't have. Poison Ivy aside. Yo. I mean, it's Pennsylvania, so no matter where you turn, there's woods, but... For those of you who don't know what Vampire is, you should Google it. Imagine playing it in the woods in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) Literally that, except with... Whatever. Anyway, um, yeah, it the the writing is not stellar, mm. but the story creeped me the fuck out. I, he's ve- he's very good at like stringing you along and making you feel unsettled in all of these stories. Where even though the characters, like the boy, doesn't know that something is out of place, but you you do and then he each section kind of ends with like a uh, like a gut punch where you're like oh my god oh my god that's so creepy i think the one night after i finished it i I did i slept with the light on you know the first book to actually ever scare me was chamber of secrets yeah you hear the voices yeah no i remember walking into my parents room and they were like what's the matter with you and i was like harry heard disembodied voices and i don't know what to do and they were like what so. <clears throat> so yeah, pen pal. I can't really say much more about the plot without giving certain things away. But if you want like a really fucked up I will like, say this much, Craig is the best book recommendations of anyone I've ever met. <laughs> Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you. I mean I, I, I like to think that I should. I am a librarian. He is now. a librarian. 
um, as Melanie will be shortly. I will be shortly. I'm starting school tomorrow, kids, or whatever yeah. it is for you guys. Yeah. So, yes, a plug for Pen Pal. I'm going to stop talking about it now, but if you like that sort of <clears throat> creepypasta, internet... Um, Slenderman shit. Slenderman shit. This is the book for you. <clears throat> so, my number five is one I know Craig has read. Yeah. Um, it is House of Leaves by Mark Danielewski. <laughs> um, it took me fucking two years to read this book first of all not because it like it's just because i had to stop and start a lot because i started in college which was my first (laughs) mistake this book if you've ever seen it open it up it is it is a tome it's it's 800 goddamn pages much like the tardis and at 800 goddamn pages much like the tardis it is much bigger on the inside it is much bigger um it is crazy written if you look at it just at face value it is written up like in tongues like upside down backwards shit's highlighted yeah shit's um, crossed out there's footnotes on color different angles yeah make sure Uh you get the full color edition because there are versions that don't yeah and this is a book um guys you can't read the ebook no, it, it doesn't work. You it need first a came out copy. as an ebook before it was published. You need the physical book because you have to be able to manipulate this thing because it very first well because you have to turn it upside down. You have to turn it upside it's, down. It's, you there's stuff that's uh-uh. written backwards, but on the next page it's written forwards. It's written like forwards. There's footnotes. There's footnotes within footnotes. Um, and one night after I read it, I went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night. I swear to God, I thought the book was watching me. Like that's how much this book freaks you out. But basically, without giving too much away, the premise of this book is I like to describe it to people as a found footage film in print like this is what would happen this is as if you're reading a found footage film because basically how it starts is is this guy johnny truant his neighbor dies and he's going through his apartment and he's collecting all this weird shit and paper that this guy is lying around he's got all these crazy notes about this movie called the navidson project or the navidson record record um and it's about, it's this movie, it's like a, basically a series of a home movies shot by this famous photographer, um, what was his first name? They just called him Navi most of the time. Yeah. Um, but Will. this guy, Will Navidson, yeah. um, who moves into this, like, suburban house with his girlfriend and their children and realizes that the house is an eighth of an inch bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And they're like that's fucking weird and the biggest like the first big scare comes when they're in the middle of the room and then suddenly the shelf in the room is like a foot away from the wall even though nothing has moved nothing nothing in the house has been disturbed but suddenly books are falling off the shelf because it's now a foot away from the wall when it was previously right up against the wall and it's chilling um and it just spirals out from there because he becomes obsessed with trying to document this meanwhile our narrator johnny truant is putting together these papers. So, like, on one end of this, you're reading the Navidson record. Like, you're reading an account of this documentary. On top of that, there are footnotes of Johnny talking to you as he's trying to compile this and as things in his life get weird and he starts becoming super paranoid that something's following him, something's watching him, he can't sleep, he's, he's got insomnia. On top of that, you've got footnotes from the editor about stuff that Johnny's saying because the editor has put all this together and then there's footnotes about like academic footnotes that are like this total satire on like academic writing and like footnotes that go on for pages with just names of contributors to papers it's insane it is like the anti-novel and it took this guy 10 years to write 32 publishers shot him down um 
And, and you just, can see why. And you can see why. On both of those accounts. They couldn't, like, they just could not get through. He couldn't get through it. People couldn't get through it. But if you can get through it and you understand what's going on, it's a haunting book. Oh, it's absolutely terrifying. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying book. And cool thing with it, too, is his sister is Poe, the, um, like, circa 1990s um, alternative musician who yeah. wrote an album based on stuff that happened, based on, like, this book. Because she was the one who basically shopped it for him because she was like, no, you can't give up on this. You need to sell it. And she basically got her friend, who was an agent, convinced him to, to read it. Um, a friend from college and she's like basically his editor and has been his editor like throughout his writing career it's actually really cute but um point is this book is just haunting like it is few things have scared me the way this book and like the fact that I woke up in the middle of night and thought the fucking book was watching me um it's just so good um you just it's a commitment to get through and it's a commitment to read um and yeah. it's as not, somebody it's not for the uh the um, weary reader or or the faint-hearted reader. And this is not something you can douche around and do on an audiobook either, for those of you who like to do that. Yeah, no. I don't even... Could you imagine? No. I don't even think there is an audiobook. You couldn't do that. Because no one Um, would fucking crazy enough to it. The only reason I say that is because for one of my classes for library sciences, she's making me listen to the graveyard book. I'm not allowed to read it. I have to. It even says like you can read it if you want, but you have to listen to the audiobook. <laughs> so I'm gonna just oh, put it. I think I. It's yeah. for um the children understanding children. Yeah. Like um, yep. I'm gonna just gonna put it on my iPod and listen to it when I run in the morning. That's a great <clears> book, <throat> by the way. But um, yeah, Plug this that real book quick. is just the graveyard book. So so well written, so haunting. Like he, Daniel Esky is a genius. Like and his other book, The Familiar, I haven't read it yet, but. I've heard it's yeah. just as, like, so well put together. Um, but, yeah, House of Leaves, if you're willing to undertake it, it's a great payoff. It's basically, you know, paranormal activity meets, like, the Winchester Mystery House. <clears throat> like, it's so good. Um, so huge plug for that. Chances are, though, um, if you're listening to this, you might have already read it because this was a huge deal. Even before it was published, it was kind of like a cult following before it got published, um, <clears throat> and it's still really huge. So House of Leaves is my number five. Interestingly, it's my number four. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about it more. I, I know. I was, there's not much to add. Mel did a, a, a great job of, um, giving you guys a, a summary and a, and a review of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's truly terrifying. It's just like a postmodern mind trip. Yeah. Um, it's like the academic version of something that Joss Whedon would try to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I think it's brilliant, you know, the, the one layer of our story in which this film, this, you know, eclectic, you know, mystery film. By the, New Line the Cinema Cinema or something, they claim. Just described in such amazing detail that you feel, you know exactly what this movie would look like. Um, the way he describes it. And that's that's a tough feat to pull off. The other interesting thing, too, is, like, they start to... You've got the unreliable narrator because towards the end of the book, you start to doubt that the movie ever existed because he tries yeah. to contact these people who are supposedly involved in the filmmaking and they don't know anything about it. it. supposedly never existed. And, like, you... Um, they interview, like, actual people. Like, they interview Stephen King at one point in the book and all these people who are real people about it who, like, have things to say about this this movie that we can't find proof of. 
It's super interesting. It's so and there's like two, I always laugh, there's like 200 pages of index, but they're <sighs> not supplementary material. No. They're an active agent of the story. Yeah. Um, so you've got to commit to it, but it's so engaging, it's so mysterious, and it's so hauntingly beautiful. It's such a good book. If you make it to the end, you're not going to look at literature the same way again. Even Johnny's stuff, like he's like, even stuff that has nothing to do with the Navidson record, like his total fuck up, like his like crap at work, his crap yeah. in life, his crap with women, like his crap with um, Lude and like it's just... Really- he just his entire life and his entire existence and the way he narrates everything it's just everything about this book is so engaging um so even if you're somebody who's like not super big on horror which i don't know why you'd be listening but if you you know our (laughs) our friends basically who are listening although i think they've all read house of leaves um i know jamie's read house of leaves um but yeah like just read commit to this book if and when you can yeah you, it'll, it, it's totally worth it. It will not disappoint. It's um, so good. It won't. It won't disappoint. You'll have a new appreciation for, for literature. And you'll never be able to look at dark hallways the same way again. Oh, my God. You won't be able to look at your bedroom the same way again. Yeah. Um, um, all right. You, so that was my number four. I think we talked that out pretty good. You want to mm-hmm. go with your number four? I think this might be on your list. We'll see. Um, the Haunting of Hill House. Interesting. Is it on your list? <laughs> but I will try to keep my talk about it to a minimum. Um, Shirley Jackson. I, I had it as an alternate, actually, okay. for my number three. So okay. I'll just, you, yeah. My I'll alternate for number four. I'll put in my other one. My alternate for number four, by the by, isn't really horror, but I just love it so much, is uh, The Halloween Tree. Nice. By, um, by Ray Bradbury. Yeah. Great, great Halloween read. That is a great Halloween um, read. Not scary at all. It's for kids. It's like a kid's book about basically the history of Halloween, but it's great. Um, Haunting of Hill House, Shirley Jackson, best known for the lottery, which in itself is terrifying. Oh, yeah. Um, and one of the things that helped inspire the Hunger Games. Um, Shirley Jackson, and I talk about this actually in my Don't Breathe um, review, because Shirley Jackson pioneered the idea of terror versus horror. And that terror... Could be because your imagination is so much more vivid and so much worse than anything that could actually happen. Terror is a more visceral um, thing to use for eliciting emotion than horror. Because the idea of horror is what has happened has happened and you're reacting to it. Terror is the possibility of something happening. And that's the thing with The Haunting of Hill House. It's Most people will know it as The Haunting because that was the the 1950s movie, I think. It was black and white. Uh, yeah. Um, it might have been earlier it's than gonna that. It's going to come to me in a second. <clears throat> but there was a remake in the 90s. 1963. 63. There was a remake in the 90s, which was crap. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's this group of people who are chosen to partake in a paranormal investigation of hill house this kind of abandoned house on the outskirts of this like suburban like abandoned basically town um and this house kind of has a dark history and basically they're there to decide is it haunted is it not like we're studying the idea of of paranormal activity essentially Mm -hmm. and the thing about the book is that it never outright kind of shows you what's going on in the house. Like, it's very psychological. It's very much about what's going on in the lives of our participants that's affecting them um, and maybe causing their reactions to this place. Because our main character, 
when she uh, first walks into the house and she's just completely overcome with grief and is like, I shouldn't be here. Like this, this place is awful. Like I need to get out. And like, you know, everything that led up to that with her life where it is now and kind of what everyone brings to the house. But it's kind of the quintessential haunted house novel. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> if you're somebody who Well, and like, well, maybe not the quintessential. Sorry, I just cut in. Yeah. But like, such an excellent, pure mm-hmm. example of the gothic novel. Yeah. Yeah. And the modern gothic <clears throat> novel, too. Um, and it's like, you know, and this inspired things like, you know, the Haunted Mansion Stephen King cites this as one of his big things, um, you know, and stuff like Poltergeist and even Amityville, which is dubiously um, based on real events. Um, you know, all this stuff comes from The Haunting of Hill House and the the kind of like original paranormal investigative haunted house novel. Um, and it's short. It's almost a novella. Um, it's yeah, it's read. really short. Which is pretty typical of Shirley Jackson, but um, it's one of those like classic, timeless uh, horror things. And it, it's interesting because if you look back at things that we say at the time were like the scariest thing to ever happen, like The Exorcist and Poltergeist and that sort of thing. By our standards, yes, like they would not be scary anymore because we've yeah. seen what we've seen. This is one of those books, though, that I think kind of pervades that because you've got these scenes of her in her room at night and like running into um what's her name the other girl in the book you can tell i read this recently <laughs> um it's a boy's name as a girl theo name. theo yeah because yeah. it's for, for theodora. theodora um played by what's her face um, uh claire bloom well in the remake she was played by um, oh, oh Zellinger. i don't know her in the remake um it's somewhere i think Renee Zellweger. Uh, um, anyway, point is, she like runs into her and they spend the night like huddled together because they're hearing noises in the hallway and it's yeah. freaking them out. And it's like, this is every cliche about a haunted house came from this book. Like, creaks in the hallway. But it works. Still reading it now. Yeah. It's all of still us terrifying. knowing all of those cliches, it still terrifies I you. tweeted about this and I'm not going to talk about it until October because of reasons. Because I have an advanced copy of Colin Dickey's uh, Ghostland. A an American History, I forget the full subtitle. It's called Ghostland, though, and you can find it on that. It's on my Goodreads and that sort of thing. Um, but it's basically histories of all these famous haunted places and kind of the psychological things that go into what gives a place the kind of urban legend of being haunted. And the first section of the book is all about haunted houses and how that is like the ultimate violation of safety and solitude. and Because it's the home. Yeah, because it's the home. Which was, you know, going all the way back to folklore, you know, the spirits of the home were meant to be the nice spirits and the spirits of the forest were meant to be um, the dangerous spirits. And I wrote about that in my review of The Witch, if you want to hunt that down on the internet. Um, but basically that's the, what it is about a, ha- a haunted house is like, it's a complete invasion of safety and privacy and peace of mind. And that's everything yeah. that the haunting of Hill house is <clears throat> in such a short novel. So would so, be recommend. As would I, mm-hmm. as would I, that was going to be my number three, but I'm going to put in my alternate, um, oh, that, that section though, where they're huddled together at night. Mm-hmm. And really, the only thing that's happening is that there's a pounding on the door. Yeah, someone's knocking on the door. Which, and they think at in first and of it itself, might be, should not be that terrifying, but it is. But it is. And, like, that's the thing, too, is, like, creaks in the hallway. Just these things that are naturally part of houses totally flipped on their head. And 
it made dangerous. And that's like the thing that freaks people out about haunted houses is that you've got these everyday things and these everyday patterns that are just completely, com- you know, mirrored and reversed. And it's this weird, bizarro world where everything's suddenly dangerous. You know, your closet door creaks and there's a monster hiding inside instead of those shoes you haven't worn since the Christmas party. (laughs) 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 But yeah, that's my number four. Uh, Very good. Thank you. Um, All right. So my number three, I am, I love this book just as much as the haunting of Hill house. Don't think that like, I'm just like, Oh, now I need something to talk about. No. (laughs) Um, Horns by Joe Hill. I didn't even think of that one. Yeah. And I read it recently. I read it, like, over the summer. Yeah, for the uneducated among you out there. Um, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. Joe King. Yeah, Joe King. You can see why he didn't use that name. Yeah. Joe King. Dad's shadow is a long one. Also joking. Um, But he has proven himself. Um, He's written... Uh, three, yeah, three pretty terrifying novels now and a short story collection. Um, there's obvious He's similarities on another, to his I believe, father. Too. Oh no, yeah, I'm sorry. He four novels. He has four yeah. Novels. It's well, he's working uh, the on the Fireman just came out. Yes, um, and he's working on another series of it's four novellas, I believe, in nice. one publication. Although he likes to refer them as short novels because for some reason he hates the title novel. <laughs> tweeted about it his dad his father does that um which there are some similarities you can see father and son you know they're whatever but um he's a strong writer on his own and horns is amazing I, I, i can't gush enough about this book Uh, it hit me so much too at different points like i was so because i was basically live texting craig as i was reading it because i read it after (laughs) him i was like then this happened but yeah like that was just like the the way it hit me emotionally was like it was so beyond even like genre fiction like it was just so so well like every part of it the flashbacks human level yeah like it's so so good um, the premise is fairly Daniel simple, Radcliffe. but again, you don't have to, like, y- you can do amazing things with a simple plot. Yeah. Um, we're, we're essentially presented with a murder mystery. Um, our main character, Ake Parrish, his girlfriend was murdered. He's obviously the prime suspect as the boyfriend, not to mention the jilted boyfriend. Um, but through some unfortunate circumstances... For others, the evidence against him was destroyed. So he just kind of wanders around, you know, back in his hometown, everybody thinking he's a killer. No one can prove it. Until one day he wakes up with a pair of devil horns on his head. And among other things, the horns force those around him to tell him the truth, whether he likes it or not. And at first, some of this, it's super blunt and, and horrifying. Some of this is really blunt and gut wrenching. It's all of the things that we fear the people in our lives think about us and are going to say as well, and might say to us one day. And it's like, oh my god, I this would be like my worst nightmare. Oh yeah, um, having these horns that he has. And yes, at first, it starts to completely unravel his life. 
from um, this the, the woman that he's seeing to the terrible things that the people and his and family his tell parents him. and his family, yeah, his like- parents, his grandmother, and stuff or whatever. Until he kind of comes to uh, somewhat of a realization that he can use the horns to find out who really killed um, his girlfriend. Marin is her name. Um, and we won't do spoilers, of course. Um, Although you can figure out pretty pretty quick yeah, who kills there her. Is a, it, the, the murder mystery element is there, but it, it kind of gets dropped in favor yeah. of others. And it gets dropped in which the is, which is fun. Which the is dramatic fun. irony of you knowing and Ig knowing exactly who did it and why and And it's the why that just really grips you until the very end until you finally see the scene of it happening and realize everything that went into it and you're just it's completely gut-wrenching in like the most honest way it is i could say like i could refer to that adjective like it is so just grabs you it does and and then just rips you apart it's so it's so good it's very. I haven't seen the movie. It's I can't like speak for that the movie, moment but. when we see exactly everything that happened that night. Because it's not even reminds me. Remind me of the feeling when, um, for any Twin Peaks fans out there, Ooh. when um, in the the film the, the Fire Walk with Me that acts as both a prequel and a sequel to the show, the film depicts the scene of Laura Palmer's murder, mm-hmm. and it's. So tragic and devastating to watch. Reading this in horns felt like watching that. Because it's not even so much what happens. It's all the parts that you missed. Yeah. And it's like, because you heard like one half of a conversation and what someone was saying and how different it was from what they were thinking. And once that all, because basically the the novel changes point of view sometimes too. And it changes. um, Yeah. It changes point of views. It it shows its entire sections in flashback, and it's not chronological. Oh. And once you finally get all the pieces and realize what happened that night, it's so so evocative. Those moments where we do leave Egg's point of view, and <clears throat> we're in the eyes of um, our killer, no names. Those <clears throat> were some truly scary and disturbing moments to see things through his eyes. Yeah. Um. And just all the things that, the you know, this crazy fucked up person, like, believed. And the way, like, you would see one scene and then see it how it really happened and see how he interpreted it. Like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's the perfect kind of horror novel because it's a horror novel with heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautifully written. The characters are some of the most human and real that I've ever read. And, um, I will say, I think Joe has a gift for prose that might even rival, that probably rivals Stephen King's. He's he's very good. He's, yeah. I mean, he's he's learned from the best. He had a, a live-in. Well, the cool her, thing about him, too, is that he didn't tell people when he was shopping his first novel that he was Stephen King's son. Yeah. Because, well, would you? No. You well, know? I mean, I might if I got desperate, but... Well, maybe. Um, yeah, because he, he wanted to get published on his own. And on his own? you can see why with just this amazing, amazing book. Like, it's so good. Yeah. I love how he works music into all of his... Mm-hmm. Also, he's a huge uh, Harry Potter person. Is. Yes, which is amazing. Which comes up in which is <laughs> He's a huge Harry Potter dork. Um, um, and there's also, like, some, like, pretty awesome black humor in yeah. there. Yeah. 
Um, and that's hard to do There's to go from one extreme to another. Death like, and erections. And yeah. Everything. Like if you can get laughter and tears out of your reader in the same book, you've done really good work. I feel like a lot of the writing in this is what Joe, it was what, um, what Joe does is what Chuck Palahniuk wishes he could do. <laughs> Oh, Which, the way that he writes because I feel like it's a more refined version of balancing satire and black humor with <laughs> real like emotion and heart so that's yeah. just my thing so yeah so that's horns um, and I'll turn it over to Mel Mel what's your I, this might be I keep yeah. saying that I think things are on your list this is the last one that I think is on your list though uh, in terms of things on my list that might be on your list my number three is The Shining <laughs> just saying right um you everyone knows what the shining is and what the shining is about um there are some real differences though between the movie and uh the book uh which is why if you go and find the shining tv miniseries um it is hugely different from um the Kubrick version <clears throat> but basically you know it's this family that goes to um this secluded town outside Boulder, Colorado, where they decide that they are going to be the caretakers for a hotel um, throughout the winter because somebody needs to maintain the hotel. And they're completely isolated up on this mountain. I've been to the Stanley, actually. Oh, um, yeah. Which is known in the film as the Overlook, which is a scarier name. Although the Stanley itself is kind of hulking and more terrifying than the Overlook looked in the film. Because <laughs> you kind of turn the corner and it's right there in between like two giant mountains. Um, yeah. Well, they used the actual Stanley in the miniseries. Yeah, they filmed at the actual Stanley. I forget. I don't even know where they filmed for... Um, the I always version. forget the name. This is also the time to once again plug the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Room 237 on Netflix. Watch it even if you've never seen The Shining. <laughs> right? Um but basically it becomes uh the book is more about the supernatural elements and the supernatural history of the hotel. The movie is more about cabin yeah. fever. Um but that's still present in the the novel as well because you get this this sense of distress at the beginning because Stephen King's Author insert character du jour, um, Jack Torrance, is a recovering alcoholic who's kind of really pissed that his family doesn't trust him. And, you know, he kind of goes into this long stay up in the wilderness with nothing but his wife and child with this mentality in mind that he's pissed that his wife kind of doesn't trust him and kind of looks at him a little bit fearfully. Um, and things spiral because the kind of spirit of the hotel uh, takes over. And for me... Besides the, the famous hedge animals, which was the hedge maze Whoa. in the film, one of the scariest parts of this book for me is when Jack finds a dormant hornet's nest while he's cleaning the roof, and he gives it to his son as a gift to say, look at this cool thing. It's like this dormant mud, you know, hornet's nest, what have you. <clears throat> and Danny's like, oh, cool, puts it on his bed in the middle of the night. Dozens and dozens of hornets swarm out of this once dormant hornet's nest and sting the crap out of him and it's like holy fuck like and that's like such a testament to Stephen King's demented sense of pulling scares out of like where you would not even imagine them coming from right yeah 
Um, but this and a fun little symbol about oh, yeah. the hotel waking. Oh yeah, waking, waking, waking up. I mean, it was scary too. The scene where the woman crawls out of the tub and chases oh. Danny out of the room. Yes, yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, this is obviously describes the marks <clears throat> on Danny's neck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously the quintessential um, Stephen King novel. Um, If you're going to read anything by Stephen King, you should read The Shining. Um, And it's scary, and I love it, and I love the the premise and the hotel itself is is freaky in its own right. Um, And yeah, just I'll let more about it be said by Craig because I'm pretty sure he's going to (laughs) be saying more about it. It is. It is. It's actually my number one. Okay. But um, we're talking about it, so let's jump Yes, in. let's jump ahead real quick. Let's jump ahead. Fucking no, she's taking all of my books. I know. Well, this is the problem. <laughs> I know. Because half the time, uh, Craig's recommending me books, and then half the time, we just end up reading the same <laughs> We read the same books. Um, yes. The Shining, it's, you know, my second favorite horror movie of all time. It's my favorite horror novel of all time. Um, like Mel said, it's perfect Stephen King. It's quintessential Stephen King. It was his third novel. Second. Shit. I always mix it up. Was it? No, I think it was his third because I'm pretty sure Salem's plot was second. Yeah. Came after Carrie. Came after Carrie. Right. It was his third novel. So he was like in his prime. Um, And just the the perfect, we, you know, we start with like a mild sense of unease and then he takes you into like that sweaty palm phase. Mm dry mouth and then we end with pure gut-wrenching yeah, terror whole of a remember uh, what your father forgot or ugh. we watch jack as he's slowly sliding into madness and then he, we've got the parallel of how the hotel's kind of growing in this dark miasma power um while danny's abilities are waking up and all just coming into this roller coaster ride into darkness that's just amazing. Mm-hmm. I like how the novel, it, he does a really good job of portraying how frightening and incomprehensible the world of grownups is to young people. Mm-hmm. Um, because for all the, like, rep, the focus we have on Jack, I think Danny is really our, our yeah. main character. Because uh, I think... I don't know, you think everybody has some ghost from our childhood somewhere, right? And I think Stephen King does a really good job in this novel of, like, waking up his child and putting him in the midst of that childhood terror, like, that we all have in some sense. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, most of us weren't, you know, cooped up in a hotel somewhere in the Rockies about to get murdered. But we have something like that something that something that uh that is our you know long dark yeah. cap your quintessential in skeleton in the closet yeah yeah and he it does a really good job of not only reminding you of that but like literally taking you back into that headspace yeah um and there's just so many passages that are just flat out creepy um mel mentioned the hedge animals there's the scene with the fire hose in the corner mm. Um, I repressed that. <laughs> now I'm seeing it. Um, when the the different phantoms in the ballroom show yeah. up, um, and 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 Stephen King has said, you know, in several 
interviews before, the monster behind the door is much more frightening than the monster that's salivating in front of you. Yeah. And this book is full of monsters behind the door. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's creepier than an old hotel? I mean, imagining right. all the people in there, all the doors you could open and what could be behind them. I mean, you know, it's interesting because you stay in a hotel and you think, oh, great, like giant slumber party. But like, imagine who slept in that bed before you did? Who slept in that bed 10 years ago before you did? Who's sleeping in the room next to you? You know, what's going on in that, that vacant room that nobody's in? You know, it's there's there's so much to be scared of, especially with these super old hotels that aren't Marriott's and Holiday Inns yeah. and that sort of thing. Well, and he... He realized that. Like, he went to stay in the Stanley. Yeah. Um, he wrote a good chunk of this novel while he was staying there because he was like, there's something inherently terrifying okay. about hotels. No, so, and it is. I mean, we... Let me get to that. It is pretty isolated. It's not nearly as isolated, I will say, as the Overlook is in the novel. Um... Because yeah. there, there's definitely main Well, the big part of the it. novel about why it becomes so isolated isn't so much the location, but it's the weather. Oh, yeah. And I could see that happening with the actual Stanley. Um, and, but, and you, know, like, you know, like we were hiking and, you know, you're in the wilderness and you turn the corner and suddenly there's the Stanley wedged between, like, a forest and, like, backed up into a mountain. So it's very much, like, a total setting piece, which is such a... A, a recall back to traditional <coughs> traditional um, gothic horror which makes the setting just as much a character um, as the characters themselves. Um, mm -hmm. So this is kind of like the modern uh, gothic horror in my opinion. Um, and one I of the best agree. examples of it before, you know, that and without The Shining you wouldn't even have House of Leaves um, and that oh, sort no. of thing. No. So, Not even close. Yeah. There's... Uh, Daniel Lewis, is a big King fan. Yeah. And you can just tell. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. He, but what's kind of great about making this like a modern Gothic novel is that he flips it and plays with it in the way that like only Stephen King can, yeah. where like Gothic novels are all like overflowing with like rich people fainting on couches and big mansions <laughs> and stuff or whatever. And here he, he's, Shelley Duvall. He's, he's scaring us with like, uh, he flips it to a family who is trapped by their finances, Yes, um, which is another reason that they, they can't leave. Their finances and, and their sort of social situation too, because yeah. Jack's alcoholism and everything that surrounds it and is a consequence of it is totally weighing down on him. Um, right. and how it affects his job and and the way people see him and the way his wife sees him and the way he wants to see himself the way people see him and even in the first scene when he's talking to the the hotel owner and the way he's trying to present himself uh to the hotel owner um you know it's just such a modern look at like you know the way that family dynamic and societal dynamic brings in these horrific drama elements that just get amplified by this isolation and you know supernatural in this case supernatural stuff but um in the movie it's more cabin fever 
than anything yeah. else. Yeah, and he, St- Stephen King, hates the movie. Yeah, he's very vocal about that. I like the movie and because the book for, and that's a big reason. Yeah, because well, he he didn't even like that they cast Jack Nichols and Nichols. No, I always say Nichols. Um, because he says that Jack is crazy from the start. Yeah, and he said that one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which came out not long before this, and you know that would all give away the fact that right. Jack was in, going to end up insane. Which and you can totally see the difference if you watch the miniseries, which Stephen King had a huge hand in producing. Like how different they are. Yeah. Um, very, very different. I like both stories because I think they're both trying to say a different thing, and I don't think I. Yeah, like one, I love them both. I don't like one more than the other. Um, I like them very separately for what they're both trying to say. Agreed. Um, you know, hence why it's a. Uh... Why it's my number one? Because it, it, it's great. It's great. It's great, guys. Um, so should I do number two and then you do number two and then I'll do my yeah. number one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so my number two. The thing about me is with books is I am a huge sucker for classics, even if people find them boring, overwordy, what have you. So my number two is Dracula. Nice. Um, Love me the classic. I, I'm like in like in a completely non kinky way. I'm very into like vampire stuff, but in the sense of it being sort of like the classical kind of representation, not like I read half of Twilight in eighth grade and stopped and didn't touch it after that. So that stuff doesn't True Blood not for me either. Yeah, no. I love like classic, <laughs> classic vampire stuff like Dracula and um. The vampire, spell with a Y, and Carmilla, and all these sort of like just very classic vampire stuff. Dracula, though, and I hate putting this down because Dracula itself isn't even um, original. It totally um, <laughs> is basically a ripoff of a novel that came like 10, 15 years well, before called Carmilla, but yeah. it still is where. I don't think the reason it's it had such a huge effect on our. It's very pop different. Culture from, is because it's original. I just think no, it's no, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think originality matters too much because nothing is original. I mean, everything was influenced by something else. Yes, like things you can pull things and say this is more than the other. You know, this is influenced more than other things. But um, you know, and the thing is, is that Dracula, you know, it took things that weren't original that were already established by previous novels, but it it made them very visceral and it freaked people out Um, because Dracula, a lot of people, so I work at a bookstore for now. (laughs) I work at a bookstore (laughs) and um, Dracula is on a lot of these kids, um, some reading lists and they'll come in and I'll suggest them to them when they say, what should I get? Like, what would you get? I'm like, I like Dracula. And a lot of people will claim, oh, it's boring because it's written. It's a pistolary novel. It's written as journal entries, Um, which I think House of Leaves proves can be super fucking creepy if done right. I mean, to people in the 1870s, this would have been completely horrifying. But, you know, Dracula to people... And there's, like, entire books that have been written about vampires and their their place in culture and how they've changed over the years. We'll talk about them quite a lot. Oh, I'm sure. We'll bring Colleen on for that one. Because I learned that she took vampires in blood, apparently, yeah, freshman year. Did you didn't tell me. That? I did not know that. Yeah. And I was like, why didn't I take that class? I could teach that class. Anyway, I, point is. I was honestly afraid that it would be filled with Twilight biddies. Which, and, I, and I couldn't do that for a whole semester. To be fair, it probably was. And it was probably for the best I didn't. Yeah. But 
That being said, the thing about Dracula, though, the huge draw of it, besides the fact that this is our quintessential, stereotypical, classic vampire, is the setting. I mean, what the fuck is cooler than a mountain, a foggy mountaintop in the middle of the night in Transylvania? In a medieval castle. In a medieval castle. Wolves are howling. You know, you get up there with a gypsy caravan that drops you off. Like, everything about this this book is built off atmosphere and ambiance. Like, it starts out with um, Harker, you know, writing down he's on the ship heading to Romania. Like, he doesn't know much about this client. He gets off the ship and, like, he's picked up in this carriage and he's driven up through the Carpathian Mountains and he's they say, all right, we're not going any farther. And he has to, like... To get out here, to, yeah. To be picked up by the Count who sends a carriage to come get him because nobody wants to go any closer to the castle. And he gets in there and then the Count won't let him leave. Like, he's trapped there for, like, a month. And, like, he hears these noises in the night. And there's this horrifying scene at one point where he sees Count Dracula, like, climbing up the castle up the walls. Side. Oh, my God. So horrifying shit. Meanwhile, halfway across the world, his, uh, a lot of things are happening back in London. So his fiance, Watch, goes down. his fiance, Mina, is, like, dealing with... <laughs> dealing with lucy is the best way to put it lucy is like our our, um best friend character actor like biddy that we have to tell to put shots down at the party she's got all these guys over her and she starts having these weird dreams about this this weird man and like you know she's got this weird shit going on in her life but she's like whatever like all these guys love me and like she's very promiscuous and this is kind of where you get the um slasher trope from of the promiscuous teenagers yeah. getting sex equals death yeah sex equals death thanks lucy but um basically john harker comes back from transylvania he's super sick and gaunt and he's raving about like all these things that happen everyone's like you're fucking crazy meanwhile this dude in an insane asylum is like mumbling to himself and eating bugs and talking about the yeah. master and how he has to serve the master and the master is coming because like uh he originally was the realtor who went to visit Dracula and Dracula put him under his thrall and turned him basically into a servant and Dracula goes after Lucy um and she ends up a vampire and then he decides he's going to go after Mina and John's like no and he he summons the help of Van Helsing a famous vampire hunter um and it's all ins- it's so fucking creepy. Like he chases these people halfway across the world from the the slopes of the Carpathian Mountains into London, and then eventually back to the Carpathians when they realize how to kill him. Um, and I actually saw a play version of Dracula that was super scary. I've seen the play. It's brilliant. It's so good and so scary. And it was scary too because it was in a black box, so they very much mm-hmm. utilized every aspect of to the their space advantage. they could which included my seat. Um, (laughs) But yeah, and like I said, like obviously if you're looking at this from a literary standpoint, no, none of this is original. It has happened before in previous vampire novels. Um, And a lot of it, like even... But this is the one where it happens the best. Yeah, this is the one where... And I think that's why Yeah, like, and this is the one where the point was... Always go back to it. To scare you. Like with the other ones, there's a lot more going on in what they're trying to do with... um, the vampire and Carmilla, like there's a lot of other facets and themes going through them. Dracula is the point is to be scary as fuck. Yeah. And um, it is. And it is. And it's still like just and <laughs> so um one thing that so Nox Arcana is this this ambient gothic music group that is awesome and they did a 
one of their albums. They put out like an album every year, basically. Um, and they're super creepy, and there's like hidden messages in them and puzzles. But they did one um, based on Dracula that is super freaky that I would recommend listening to um, while you read it or while you're doing anything and want a good uh, ambient feel for those dark Transylvania mountains. But um, yeah, I love Dracula. I like rereading it. I've got, I've accumulated I many it, copies. Maybe I'll do that this October. I would suggest it. Um, Give it a reread. I also have a leather-bound version. <laughs> but yeah, I love Dracula. And for people who say it's boring, I mean, you just need to immerse yourself in oh, this. Open in up your mind. Open up your mind. Immerse yourself in this environment and think about the vampire from the concept or the perspective, rather, of it. 19th century person who believes in the folk belief that this is real that somebody could come back from the dead and be hiding in the woods and there's things that only come out at night um you know things that go bump in the night go bump in the night because of dracula because that's where it started um so read that absolutely shit. <laughs> absolutely read that shit well this is a good segue into my final book on the list um, which was number two, so we covered The Shining, mm -hmm. um, Salem's Lot. Interesting. Um, Speaking of yeah. vampires. And you all should be proud of me that I only put two Stephen King novels <laughs> on my list of five. You should see I, his bookshelf. Which I could have put... 15. Well, all, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like when you are looking, like, what what vampire stories have influenced the current state of vampires the most? You go one with Dracula, you go two with Salem's Lot. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and of course, Salem's Lot was incredibly influenced by Dracula and stuff or whatever. And he's, um, they're still ruthless predators and not brooding, sparkly, misunderstood angsty teens See, this is yet. why we need to have a whole podcast on vampires, because I have a whole spiel right? about how this happened, right? and how vampires went from uh, what they went to, to this. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. We should do I a drunk viewing of Twilight. Oh, God. We'd have to like, be drunk. We'd have to be drunk. Like, really drunk. Um, Salem's Lot is great. Um, if you haven't read it, and you like vampires in any iteration, check out Check out this one, um, or you or watch the movie. The or, movie's um, really good too. But read the book. Read the, the book. short story, the prequel stories as well. Yeah, and, um, the prequel Mike, short story. Um, Night shift. Stephen King, you know, in classic Stephen King fashion, you know, takes takes something like vampires and then just kind of ups the terror in his own way. Mm. Um, you can totally tell the main character is him. <laughs> Yeah, ben, like more so than it's been in other things because it's very much young Stephen King. As it's young very Stephen much, King, very much so. Ben Mears. Uh, yeah. So Salem's Lot, you know, it's it's a small town in Maine, as you know, our most settings for Stephen King novels. <laughs> Stephen King himself, who lives uh, in a small town in Maine, quaint and pastoral on the surface, and then of course we look deeper and we find that there are strange and dark secrets lurking beneath. Um, and, but as, for, as much as, you know, the vampires are our baddies here, I really like Salem's Lot because I feel like this is Stephen King really doing his best to show us that as much as the monsters and boogeymans out there might be trying to get to us, 
it's really the darkness in the human soul that's going to destroy you in the end. Because, yeah. um, you know, even before the supernatural shit starts going down, we find out that Salem's Lot has a lot of lies and it's bullying, really corruption. It's in that way. And it, it is actually, very Twin It came before Twin Peaks. Um, it did come before Twin Peaks. I mean, like, there are moments of child abuse, violence, murder, um, you know, this town was not, you know, exactly Mayberry before the vampires got there. And I think it's that that really, like, because I am very much a sucker for the trope of the quaint small town with something dark hiding under the surface. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, the model yeah. uh, for for that kind of story. Yeah. Um, but done, but done really, really well. I mean, the story's super straightforward, um, steady pace. Um, you know, we got our good guys going up against, you know, the bad guys. Um, but it's just very excellently plotted, um, excellent pace, good suspense, mm-hmm. the foreboding is... Ab- general rampant. ominous of this Yeah, this general, general ominous tone that, like, Sometimes I look at it, I'm like, I don't know quite how he does it, but he does it. And it's, like, one of the great examples of, like, that house at the end of the lane that nobody wants to go near and kids sneak into to, like, have their little rite of passage and dare each other to do things. But it's, like, dangerous. Like, once you see the scenes of, like, what Ben and his friends got up to when they were kids sneaking into this house. They sneak into the Marston house. That is probably the most terrifying moment. It's horrifying. And it's not even just, like, oh, this is creepy Boo Radley shit. Like, it's dangerous, like, and it's mm-hmm. scary, like, what goes on in that house. So. It is. And and despite all the moving pieces that he's got going on, the, f- the focus is really still, still the vampire story. All these other elements just kind of add to it and make it complex. But there's no, like, heavy-handed takeaway. There's no, like, deep moral lesson we're supposed to take away from this story. Really, it's just that a story that like it's like the, one of the oldest cautionary tales out there like be careful who you invite into your home yeah um and it's so simple and so effective yeah so that finishes off my list <clears throat> so my number one is an interesting one and so I don't know whether I put it down because it's my favorite horror book or it's because it's one of my favorite books, period, because I've read it three times and it just happens to be gothic horror, but my number one is Phantom of the Opera. I knew it. <laughs> you always know my number ones. <laughs> I do. Um, this is a book, if you've seen, you haven't seen my copy, but if you see my copy, like the spine is shredded. <laughs> there are tabs in the book. Like I'm obsessed with this book. I've read it three or four times by now. Um it's amazing. Like, I've done projects on it in school since I was, like, 13 years old. Like, I love this book so much. Um, and there are parts that I do think are generally scary. Um, you know, first of all, an not even a theater, yeah, as you're saying. Yeah, has made most of us forget that this story was intended to be a horror novel. Yeah. And so Gaston LaRue, who wrote it, this was his first thing that he did that wasn't a detective series because he originally did mostly detective mystery series. The first draw about this is that he, people to this day debate about whether it really happened because he incorporated so much of real life events into the novel. The chandelier crash, the famous chandelier crash in this actually happened. It did. I, 
I have been, been to the Paris I was gonna say, Opera you've House. You've been there. And, it's got uh, a lake underneath of it. There is there's there are there are lake. There's a lake underneath. Um, it does end up connecting to the catacombs. Um, there are most of those tunnels and stuff and passageways are dangerous now, but they're still there. Yeah. Um, you know, and people asked the the tour guide, um, kind of jokingly, like, "Oh, did did the chandelier really crash and stuff or whatever?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah." Um, and the records and somebody in, died in the opera house indicate that they never quite figured out how the chandelier crashed or yeah. why it fell, but it did. And somebody died huh. just like they do in yeah. the novel. And Christine Daae is based on a real Swedish singer who performed at the Garnier. So there's so right much... Right around the time. Right around the time the chandelier of, crashed. So yeah, there's so much of, of this that, that is intertwined with the fiction that people still... And you can go on internet forums and see people viciously debate each other about whether or not this actually happened because LaRue presents it as if it happened because he presents it as a series of interviews he did with various people who survived the the kind of ordeal of the Phantom of the Opera. But basically the premise for people who live under a rock uh, and don't know what goes on in the Phantom of the Opera, basically... musical fans even. Mr. Yeah. Eric. Mr. E- Eric. I know. <laughs> the other day he was like, oh, I've never seen a musical before. I'm like, bitch. He's going to make you You've never losing... seen The Wizard of Oz? This is, see, that's... How is this going to help you in Trivia Night? I when know. you hit a musical category and he's dead weight. All alone, carrying, carrying the torch. <laughs> okay, his musical education will begin shortly. <laughs> Next, when we finally do our, our sequel duet of Phantom of the Opera that we always said we're going to do, it's going to happen on the 9th. That'll be his introduction. Um, Phantom's just here in D.C. Interesting. I, I just, think it was actually, I think it's coming to Philly again this Christmas. Um, I didn't like Phantom's super everywhere to get tickets because um, it's, you know, it's the Cameron Macintosh staging now. And um, while well, I like it, I saw it when it was in Pittsburgh. I, I like the original. I've seen pictures and I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. Um, so, Anyway. So anyway, the Phantom of the Opera basically takes place, first of all, we mentioned the gallows was such a misfire because it totally didn't use a um, the the setting of a theater well enough in the haunted theater. draw on phantom elements enough. Yeah. Phantom is the ultimate, like, this is, this is not where haunted theaters come from because haunted theaters probably come from Shakespeare's time when you had, like... The Macbeth shit and ghosts in the theaters and that sort of thing. But, like, opulent, beautiful opera house... Mm-hmm. Haunted by this psychotic genius. Haunted by, yeah. Living. Deformed. Deformed genius. ugly, you know. Living in the dungeons of this. He's made an entire underworld for himself. And people have, and I've done this too in my papers, you know, you've got the, the connections to like the story of Hades and Persephone and Cupid and Psyche. But there's just this crazy like lord of the underworld like deranged lonely like genius living by himself underneath this opera house pulling strings terrorizing people and he's obsessed with this young singer Christine Daae and he's convinced you know she's got this angelic voice and he teaches her how how to use it and how to to truly shine on like the opera stage and she thinks this man is the spirit of her father who died this angel of music that her father promised he would send her and he's like yeah I'm the angel of music but it's the Phantom of the Opera, as as everyone else knows him. And she slowly starts to realize what a dangerous human being this is. It's not... And that's what's so great about this is that LaRue balances out the fact that this is a scary, psychotic serial killer who's also this urethral 
spirit being who who literally haunts these places a despite the fact that he's yeah. a living breathing flesh human and it's like where does this end and where does it begin where does the the kind of ghost you know stop and the person begin and you know is it the facade of that he's created for himself as the phantom or is it eric Eric, not Mr. Eric. Not Mr. Eric. Eric, as in the Phantom, you know, the human being underneath of it, you know, is that where the real evil lies and that sort of thing. And he ends up kidnapping her at one point and her fiancé, you know, delves down into the depths of his torture chambers and traps that he has set up around his home underneath the opera house to go save her. Um, and it's just so beautiful and heartbreaking and fucked up and amazing um and i love it i've read it so many times i could recite the show to you <laughs> oh absolutely mel and i recite it to each other all the time often <laughs> um and and that he never he never gives the reader an answer and the, the characters don't really kind settle on one either no. like you have to decide where was he madman? Was he magician? You know. Yeah, there's this great line from yeah. from the musical where Jiri, Madame Jury is talking about him, and she's like, "He's a genius and a madman, a magician and a composer." Mm -hmm. um, you know, and just all these facets about him, and how much. But then, of course, he's also a murderer. He's a murderer. He's a psychopath. So, he's obsessed. Well, he, he's a kidnapper. What do you do with that? You know. Yeah, it's like you understand these things in the abstract way, where you say he's a genius and he's a romantic, deformed genius, but he's also a serial killer and a kidnapper and a would-be rapist at one point and all these other things and you kind of have to balance he's out Gerard Butler. and he's Gerard Butler at one point too which is possibly his most awful crime um, but <laughs> you'd never forget that Gerard uh, Butler long before he was Sparta kicking people into a pit he was, was the, phantom the Phantom of the Opera in the film version of the musical. Um, yes, not the film version of the novel with Lon Chaney. Lon Chaney. Uh, from 1925, which you should totally check out. You should. Um, and there's a couple different... There's a very scary 1980s version with Robert England. With Robert England, yeah. As the Phantom that's, like, gory and horrifying. During that time when, like, Robert England was in everything. Yeah. <laughs> He also played the Phantom of the Opera. But, yeah, I mean, there's so much going on in this, this novel, and so much of it is... And the last scene of the novel is just so haunting, because the Phantom lets... Ultimately, this is not spoilers at this point, because you should know. This is, like, because common cultural novel knowledge. is over 100 years it's old. It's over 100 years old. Also, the musical is, like, 30 years old. Like, these are things you should know. Ba basically, Christine... The Phantom offers Christine the choice. He says, you can stay with me, and your fiancé will live. Or your fiancé will die and I will let you go free. Mm -hmm. And she decides to stay with Eric um, to save her fiancé. And the Phantom's just so moved by the fact that she would give up her freedom and her entire life and be miserable the rest of her life to save this man. That he, he finds a shred of humanity left and the fact that there's some good in the world and says, okay, I'll let you both go. If you promise to one day return when I die. Um basically just to say goodbye and she says okay i will and she leaves with uh her fiance raul um and they the go Vicante about de the de they go about their business the last scene of the novel is larue talking directly to the audience about how a body was found in the catacombs of the opera house 
uh, like a really fucked up looking body, but it had a ring placed on its finger with Christine Daae's initials on the ring finger of its left hand. And he was like, and they called it the mystery of the skeleton because they couldn't identify it. But all they knew is that it had a CD on a ring on its wedding finger. Um, and that's the end of the novel. And you're like, well, what the fuck? Which is kind of how the, the movie version ends in reverse where Christine's the one who's dead and yeah. the phantom, you, you see Raoul's visit in the grave and you see a rose freshly placed they, on the grave. They, that, the film was many things, um, <laughs> but that was a good moment. Yeah. Oh, and that song that Minnie Driver did for the credits, "Learn to Be Lonely." <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, Minnie Driver sang. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, fan of the opera, like the original heart and soul of fan of the. I mean, the musical is amazing, and I again, it's, this is one of those things that I see them as different entities because the musical is a bit more fantastical. It's obviously more theatrical. It's a bit more campy with the way it chooses to go about um, presenting the Phantom to you. But the novel is just as good in a different way. Um, and they basically hit all the same elements and all the same plot points. Some characters are obviously condensed and turned into other characters for the sake of the play like the character of the Persian and Madame Jury becomes one character in the play um and some other things and Meg becomes like five characters that we just decided to turn into one person and name her Meg and not to be outdone by Meg the phantom (laughs) responds not to yeah we've got a lot of those ignore that Roger the phantom Roger the phantom Steve anyway um, Excellent choice, though. Phantom of the Opera is my number one. Yeah. I will reread it anytime. I'll listen to the music anytime. I will scream the songs in your face at any time. I love Phantom oh, of the Opera. Have. I and have. I've done it I do. You did not see us at Thanksgiving 2014, 15. But 15. it was incredible. But it was, it was essentially like the Broadway show, but in we were great. We had the bl- apartment in Pittsburgh. We had blocking <laughs> over our turkey. Great. <laughs> Point is, Fan of the Opera is my number one and one of my favorite novels of all time. Excellent. It's out of copyright. Super out of copyright. <laughs> yeah, it is. You have to scrounge. Super. You have to scrounge for, for editions of it at this point. Super, super, super. But. So that wraps up our top five mm-hmm. for both of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one thing, and we're going to keep pushing it until people participate. <laughs> Yeah, Craig and I are really into two things, actually. So first of all, we presented this already. Craig and I are really into the idea of doing a drunk podcast once a month, or more than once a month, where basically we pick some B-horror film or just some old film we haven't seen in a while, suggested hopefully by you, but we are not above doing it of our own volition. Yeah, if Um, you guys won't play with us, then um, we have to play on our own. Basically just drunk history, the shit out of it, Yes, and record it. Um, for everyone because who doesn't love I get very very I've done if I was on another podcast for a while called overly animated and I still do things with it we would do drunk viewings of like the stupidest anime we we did minions I got very (laughs) like social justice about it like I was pissed that there weren't any female minions like I get very like it's it Listen, this is a gift, us us doing this. Well, well it's a, a gift to us. I don't know if it'll a be gift a gift to us. Thing. I don't know. You may Maybe hate that's it. why no one's suggesting anything. But yet. Bottle of Wine Deep watching, like, freaking. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, a real. Like, Shot of the Dead. I don't know. Something like. 
something. Just give something. us, yeah. The other thing, too, is Craig and I are trying to figure out what to do for Halloween. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, because Craig and I often make a pilgrimage to Scarehouse. We did not last year. So we're considering doing that again and maybe checking out some more of the haunted shit in Pittsburgh. If we're not doing that, then we might do our little trifecta in um, Philly, which is Eastern State, and Pennhurst. I think we might try Bates Motel. Yeah. Pottest possibly Motel. Yeah. If anyone out or there. Or if to... you guys know of cool shit that goes on in October in the DC area. Yeah. This is also an option for us. Yeah. So Basically throw in some suggestions. Yeah. Uh, so again, play with us. Hello, Halloween lovers. Play with us. Play with us, Danny. Forever and ever and ever. Um, because audience participation, kids. Yeah. On that note, also feel free to rate and review us on iTunes, even if you think we suck. <laughs> yeah. Let us um, know what you want us to improve. Do that. Email us at the real splatter chatter email, which is splatter chatter six 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 nine at gmail.com. Yeah, six six nine. Not six six six. Everything else is six six zero. Um obviously Twitter, splatter chatter, no vowels, six six six, Tumblr, splatter chatter dot tumblr dot com, splatter chatter six 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 dot blogspot dot com. Reading all that's the steel. All the ways you can get in touch with us. Um, but yeah, that's that's I think a wrap on this one. We're not so. sure what we're doing next. Yeah. We might do some video game uh, stuff. We might, we might do some video game stuff, might invite some friends on at some point. Um eventually I will rant a great deal about Blair Witch when it comes out. <laughs> all things to look forward to. Yeah. So for now I think we're good to sign off. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Au revoir. Adios. Das Vidanya.